Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We saw yesterday, uh, as we're looking at Acts chapter 6, that as the word of God spread, maybe we could say it spread because uh, they, the apostles and uh, those helping them got themselves really well organized. And we're seeing how we can learn from the Acts of the Apostles then to see what we should be doing in the church now. And we've got this very interesting character, Stephen. Now, Stephen gets a great chunk of the Acts of the Apostles uh, devoted to him, and rightly so. Let's read what it says in chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, full of God's grace and power, performed extraordinary wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Now, let's stop there, because what had they done? They'd appointed him to wait at tables. They'd appointed him to distribute food. They'd appointed him to do uh, an administrative task. But the apostles had said, choose men of wisdom and of the Spirit. Now, you see, there wasn't an election. People weren't elected. The only, the only one that was elected was Matthias before the Spirit was given. After the church, you see people are appointed. They're not elected. And, and what they were saying is appoint. You know, just have a look around you. See who are the men of wisdom? Who are the men of the Spirit? Okay, appoint them. Ah, oh, yeah, Stephen. He's a good guy. Now, they've just prayed for him. The apostles have prayed for him. they laid hands on him. So something fresh has been imparted to Stephen. He's already a man of the Spirit, already a man of faith, already a man of wisdom. But now there's a fresh anointing on him. So I imagine him, you know, dealing with all these widows, seeing a need and saying, well, just let me pray for you. Bang, miracle. Seeing something else, let me pray for you. Bang, another healing. And, and you know, here are people queuing up for food and they're getting miracles because of the way that God is using this man, Stephen. And they were extraordinary miracles. They weren't just run-of-the-mill things. You know, obviously, here comes a cripple, walks away with his food. I mean, it's, it's good stuff, isn't it? And uh, However, as we've been seeing with, with the apostles, because, of course, Stephen wasn't an apostle, uh, as we've been seeing with the apostles, once things begin to happen, there's opposition. So verse 9, however, opposition also arose, especially from those who belonged to the so-called synagogue of the freed slaves. They were Jews from Cyrene and Alexandra and the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. But when they argued with Stephen, they had no answers to his wisdom. He's already a man of wisdom. He's got a fresh anointing of the wisdom of God upon him. Nor to the anointed words he spoke by the Spirit. So this guy starts by waiting on tables. Now he's, he, he, he's speaking with great wisdom. He's preaching the word. Great miracles are happening through his ministry. I mean, God's doing a good thing here. So they quietly spread false rumors about Stephen. Now, that's what so often happens. When God really begins to use you, the way the enemy, who is the deceiver and the liar and the father of lies, false things are said by people about you. I, You know, I'm, I'm not going to do it, but if I think back over the years, some of the ludicrous things, 
I, even when the spirit was first m moving, you know, when when I was in Luton and and the revival was going on there, every now off, every so often, a rumor would get back to me, either that I died, or that I'd left the church. Neither of which, of course, were true, and they were just false rumors to try to stop the move of God or to stop people from from going and really meeting with God in the sovereign way that was happening. And they were coming from outside the church? I don't know where they came from. I don't know where they originated. Oh, no, they, they weren't within the congregation. This was from outside. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I can point to many other times, uh, and unfortunately still it can happen, where people will say false things about you. Because... The devil opposes God, and he is the truth. So whatever opposes the truth must be deception. So, you know, you, you don't get surprised. You, you just sort of shrug your shoulders and say, well, we'll just keep our eyes on Jesus and keep going. But it can do a lot of damage. No matter. Well, it can. I mean, you want to guard the flock that is entrusted to you. You're more concerned that other people don't get influenced by these false things you yourself know they're false, so, you know, they're not going to affect you. But you don't want, yes, you don't want others to come under the uh, influence of, of false things. But here, this was a direct attack on Stephen. So false rumors were, were spread about him. Some claim they heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Um, you, you can think of Paul, you know, the false rumor that he'd taken a Gentile into the temple which actually led to his arrest, which in due course led to him getting to Rome. But it all started with that false accusation there in the temple courts. And here is false accusation against Stephen. In this way, they stirred up opposition among the people generally, but especially among the elders and teachers of the law. They had Stephen arrested and brought before the council. So they were, you know, we know the Jews, Jewish leaders were in opposition anyway. We've seen that already this week. But now they're stirring it up even more by making these false accusations against Stephen. There they produced false witnesses who claimed, this man speaks continually against the temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and set aside the customs Moses handed down to us. As the members of the council stared at Stephen, his face shone like the face of an angel. <laughs> the glory of God was on Stephen. Are these charges true? The high priest asked Stephen, who replied, Now, we're going to find this wisdom from God being expressed through what Stephen says. Brothers and fathers, hear what I have to say. Now, you see, he is being accused, really, of being a bad Jew, of blaspheming um, Moses and so on. And so he's first of all going to show, no, no, I'm not a bad Jew. I'm a good Jew. In fact, I'm a real Jew because I know that Jesus is my Messiah. But he's going to work his way up to that point. And he doesn't rush. He, he is meeting his opponents, where they are in their thinking. So he says, The glory of God appeared to our forefather Abraham while he lived in Mesopotamia before leaving for Haran. God told him, Leave your country and your people, and I will show you the land to which you are to go. 
So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and went to live in Haran where he stayed until his father's death. Then God led him to the land where you now live. But God did not give him any inheritance here, not even a tiny piece of land. However, he did promise him that he and his descendants would possess the whole land, even though at the time Abraham was childless. This is what God promised him. Your descendants will live as strangers in a foreign land where they will be mistreated and live as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. Then God added that after those 400 years, they would leave that country and come to worship him in this place. It was to Abraham that God gave circumcision to be a sign of the covenant between them. As his father, Abraham had Isaac circumcised eight days after he was born. In due course, Isaac became the father of Jacob, who was the father of the twelve patriarchs of our nation. You see, all this is straight down the line. It's straight orthodox teaching. It's perfectly in line with the scripture and with what his Jewish opponents believed. But because they were jealous of Joseph, his brothers sold him and he became a slave in Egypt. However, God was with him and delivered him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom that enabled him to gain the favor of Pharaoh, Egypt's king, who made him governor of the whole of Egypt and placed him over the affairs of the palace. When the whole of Egypt and Canaan were struck by a famine that brought great suffering, our ancestors were facing starvation. So on hearing there was grain in Egypt, Jacob sent his sons, our forefathers, on their first visit there. Joseph revealed his true identity to his brothers on their return visit, and Pharaoh was made aware of Joseph's family and their plight. So Joseph then sent for his father Jacob, and all 75 members of his family came to live in Egypt, where in time they all died. Their bodies were duly brought back to Shechem and buried, along with Abraham, in the tomb he had bought from Hamor's sons. The number of our people in Egypt had grown considerably by the time God fulfilled the promise that he gave to Abraham. By then there was a new Pharaoh ruling Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. He dealt harshly with our people and oppressed them by forcing them to abandon their newborn babies so that they would die. It was during this period that Moses was born, but he was no ordinary child. He was cared for in his own home for the first three months, but when his parents had to conceal him, he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, who brought him up as her own son. So Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and grew to become powerful in speech and action. When 40 years old, Moses decided to visit his natural relatives. He witnessed a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian and went to his rescue, but ended up killing the Egyptian. Moses expected that his own people would realize that God had sent him to be their savior, but they didn't. When Moses saw two Israelites fighting on the next day, he again intervened, wanting to bring reconciliation. Men, you are brothers, he said. Why fight each other? Now, you see, what he is doing is he's reviewing this history of, of the Jewish people, and he's working up to the point of realizing that the nation needed a savior, that the Messiah who was sent was Jesus because he actually did the work of salvation on the cross. And this was the thing that the Jews found so difficult to stomach, that the one they expected to come in majesty and glory uh, and, and just to liberate the people from the Romans and from, from every other worldly authority actually came to make his life a sacrifice. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 